day and worship with you. Sing a song of the heaven. Amen. God has so blessed us. Yeah. If you will, I don't know if you remember, but last time I was here, we were in the book of Colossians, and we still are. Okay? Book of Colossians. And we're going to look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Thank you. Colossians 2.1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word today, and Father, I pray that you'd help us to see all that you want us to see. I pray, Lord, that you'd work in every heart and that your will be done in every life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about the church rooted in Christ. You know, it's clear from this passage that Paul and Christ himself desired the Colossian church to be a well-ordered, rock-solid, steadfast, and established church. He desired them to be rooted, anchored, continually growing, and being built up in Christ. We must never forget that we are not to be static, standing still, but we are to be moving, growing, living, and active. Amen? <clears throat> we have goals in the church of Christ. We are not to be just loosely hanging out there, right? But we are to be stable, an established church that is continually moving forward toward the purposes of Christ. That means that everyone, everyone has a part and a responsibility to be involved in the process. We can't rely on a couple of people to run or take care of the church. Right. It takes the involvement of every member. Man. You know, if, just think about it. If you visit a military base, okay, what would you expect to see? What if, what if the troops were just came out in casual clothing, just walking around, drinking, talking loud, haphazardly doing whatever, you know, kind of a chaotic mess? couldn't tell their rank or anything about them. 
No, you wouldn't see that, would you? You would expect to see a well-ordered group lined up in an orderly fashion, marching at the command of the superior officer. And, uh, you know, that's what you expect to see if you went on a military base. Not the former that we've talked about. Well, the church is not the military, and we don't march, really. Uh, but, you know, there are some uh, things that we can learn from military-type things. And Paul talks, he uses some military terms here in, uh, he, as he talks about the function of the church of Christ. Let's ask ourselves some questions this morning. What should we be, be doing as a church? Are we doing what Christ would have us to do? Are we functioning in a way that God would want us to? And am I personally fully committed and involved in the way God wants me to be? Are we being all that God wants us to be as his church? You know, I'm not talking about some other church, just this church, amen? We can't be like, you know, First Baptist or this or that or wherever, just here at Wolf Creek. I'm talking about being what Christ would have us to be. And I want to answer the question this morning from this text, how can we be that well-ordered, rock-solid, steadfast, established church that is rooted, anchored, continually growing, and being built up in Christ? Now, I know that's a mouthful. That's a long sentence there. But that's I think, is what this passage is saying to us. That's the kind of church we ought to be. How can we be that? Well, one thing it takes is pastoral concern and care. Pastoral concern and care. You know, Paul did not start the church in Colossae. In fact, he had probably never been to Colossae at all. But being an apostle of Christ, he was concerned about the church as he was concerned about all the churches everywhere. He said he had a great conflict with them. Well, you know, he had heard about this false teaching that was going on in Colossae. You know, we call it the Colossian heresy. And uh, we, you know, he had heard about that. And so he, he had a great concern for the church that they didn't get involved in false teaching. They didn't let that infiltrate their church. That they didn't uh, let, you know, something else in the church uh, take them away from what Christ would have them to do. And what Christ would have them to be. And so he is concerned about them. And you know, that's something that we need to think about. Uh, Every pastor needs to be concerned about the care of the church. And uh, you know, I want you to look in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 23. 2 Corinthians 11, 23. And I love this passage because it talks about Paul... He was a man, let me tell you. He was a man of Christ. He belonged to Christ, and he was ready to go through whatever Christ would have him go through to fulfill the will of God. Amen? He was ready to do anything, and he pretty much did it. (laughs) As you look at this passage, it lists some things that the Apostle Paul had went through, but I want to focus on one verse toward the end of this passage uh, for what I want us to look at. But look at what this man did. And, you know, he's, he's kind of he's bragging here a little bit. 
You know, he calls himself a fool for bragging. But the false teachers were bragging about how great they were and what they were doing and all of that. So this is where we meet this passage. He says, are they ministers of Christ? Talking about the false teachers and those that would uh, had uh, uh, not good motives. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prison, more frequent. In death, oft. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. In other words, 39 stripes. That was the punishment uh, within the Jewish dichotomy. That was the punishment for blasphemy or other things against the law of God or whatever. Um, so Paul had received that. In fact, most of his opposition was from his Jewish brothers and sisters. And uh, that's what we see. Verse 25, he says, thrice or three times I was beaten with rods. That was the Gentile punishment for breaking the law. And I guess that they considered Paul broke the law as he came in and preached the gospel. Uh, three times he was beaten with rods. One of the times you remember is in uh, when uh, he went to Macedonia in Acts 16, Paul and Silas went and they preached the gospel and they ended up getting beat with rods and thrown in jail and put in stocks. You remember? But what were they doing? Crying and moaning and groaning? No, they were praying and praising God is what they were doing. And we see a wonderful story there. But he said also in verse 25, once I was stoned, and that would happen in Lystra. They stoned him to death for preaching the gospel because uh, they weren't going to accept what he was saying. And uh, I always liked that story because he was, he was stoned to death, but he wasn't dead. <laughs> and he shook it back off and Went back into the same city. I don't know about you, but I may have went the other way. Amen? If they stoned me, I may have went the other way. But he went right back in the same city. So that's the kind of man that he was, the kind of man of God that he was. He said, thrice, three times, I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day, I have been in the deep. In other words, he spent a night and a day hanging on to a board or a piece of ship or a piece of cargo or something. And there he was, all for Christ's sake. Amen? Right. <clears throat> he says in verse 26, in, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, the Jews, in perils by the heathen, the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he said, this is the passage I want us to see right here. He, he experienced all those things that are horrible. But while he was experiencing all those things, he says, beside, verse 28, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh on me, upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Literally, the anxiety of all the churches. In other words, he was experiencing all those things, but yet he was worried about all those churches that he had planted and started and encouraged and built up. He was still concerned about that. 
And that's what I say. There needs to be pastoral concern in the church if it is to be what God wants it to be. Uh, and believe me, Paul had pastoral concern. If you look also in Romans, uh, we won't turn there, but Romans 1, 14 and 15, he said there that he, he was a debtor both to the Jews and the Greek, the barbarians and everyone else. He was a debtor. In other words, he was obligated to everyone. Paul felt this obligation to everyone to tell them about Christ and help them to be all that Christ wanted them to be. And that's what he spent all his time doing. And we can really learn from that, amen? We can learn from that. Also, there are others, not just Paul. You know, Paul wasn't a one-man show. In fact, every time, just about every time you see Paul, he is with a mission team. He has one or more people with him preaching the gospel and going from city to city and planting churches and building up churches. You see Paul, he always has people with him. So he wasn't a one-man show. If you turn back over to the book of Philippians, the previous book, you'll see in chapter 2 that he talks about a couple of those people there. He talked about Timothy, one, in uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, and in verse 19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. See, he was worried about the churches. He was worried about the church at Philippi. And he says, verse 20, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Timothy was like-minded to Paul. He was his son in the faith, which he says in a minute. He was his son in the faith. Whatever Paul wanted to get done, he knew Timothy could take care of it even if he wasn't there. Okay? And so that's very important. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ." But ye know the proof of him that as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Uh, him therefore I hope to send to you presently so that soon I may see how it go, goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. So he, Timothy was one of those guys that had a concern about the church too. He was an elder, pastor, whatever you want to call him. They, they went from church to church. Paul would send him to a church and pastor that church for a time, and then he may move him somewhere else. <clears throat> but he could trust in Timothy because just like Paul, Timothy cared for the church. He had a concern for the church. Also, Epaphroditus, if you look in verse 25, uh, Epaphroditus was another one of those that uh, cared for the church. He had, he had love and concern for the church. Verse 25, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger. In other words, he was from uh, Philippi. And he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye heard that he had been sick. Okay? For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him, therefore, the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that ye may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. In other words, hold people like that in high regard, okay? 
people like that, people like Epaphroditus, people like Timothy, hold them in high regard, he says. Verse 30, because, of the, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your light and service toward me. So you see this pastoral concern that they had. These men cared about the churches under their care. And a pastor must have love, care, and concern for the church under his care as well. That is a necessity. And so verse 2, we move on in our text. Verse 2 said it takes the church comforting. That, that word is parakaleo, the Greek word parakaleo. It is the word encouraging, comforting, strengthening. It takes the church comforting, strengthening, and encouraging one another. Not tearing each other down, but building one another up, encouraging, and helping one another. He goes on to say it takes the church being knit together in love. Knit together in love. Now, I don't know. I will tell you, I've never knitted, okay? I never have. Maybe one day I will, you know, when, when I get old and something, you know, I may, I may knit one day. I don't know. But anyway, it's a great example because, you know, whatever you use, string or yarn or whatever it is, uh, it's just like you run that through each other. And you knit each other together. Right. And, and think about this. It runs through each other's heart. Okay? That the church be knit together yeah. in love. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Right. It really is. I'm going to use old redneck example, okay? Uh, besides pastoring churches, I also spent 26 years working at the warehouse in Stennis. And so one thing we use there is shrink wrap, Okay? That's some amazing stuff. You can take a bunch of boxes and put it on a pallet and take off on the forklift with it, and you may lose half of those boxes going to wherever you're going with it. But if you shrink wrap that baby, you can take off and go just about wherever you want to go. If anything falls, it's going to be the whole pallet, okay? And in the same way, we are to be shrink wrapped in love for one another. That's the way the church is to be. Knit together in love, Paul says. And you know, <clears throat> I, I was listening to a song, I thought of a song, uh, Matt Marr, he says, love will hold us together. Amen? He says, it'll make us a shelter to weather the storm. And he said, I'll be my brother's keeper so the whole world will know that we're not alone. Love will hold us together. And it certainly will. Love covers a multitude of sins, Apostle Peter says, and it holds us together. We need love in the church. Amen. We must have love in the church. And so it's very, very important that we do. Also, moving on, it takes the church having a full assurance of understanding of God's mystery. You know what God's mystery is? Christ. Jesus Christ is God's mystery. That is the mystery of the Christ. You know, a mystery in the Bible is not something mysterious that we, you know, we just can't know. You know, it's not mysterious like that. A mystery in the Bible is something that was in ages past hid, veiled, but now revealed. It's like Paul uses the word mystery when he talks about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. 
that was a big thing back then. That was a big thing. It, it, you know, it was an issue whether the Gentiles could be a part of the church. It was an issue with the Jews, I should say. And uh, so that was a big issue. But that was a mystery. And the mystery was that when Christ came and he was resurrected and ascended and when the church began that he wanted the whole world to know him. In fact, he wanted the whole world to know him anyway. But it came to, to, to a revelation, if you will, in the New Testament that, you know, they were to be included in the church, the Gentiles. All of us should be included in the church. But Christ is God's mystery. I want you to look up in, um, in chapter 1, verse 25 and t- through 27. And Paul is talking about the gospel. He's talking about his sufferings and his different things. He said, whereof I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, there it is, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. In other words, it was hid in time past, but now it is revealed. To whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is the mystery. He is the mystery. And, uh, you know, he was prophesied, but not fully understood. It was veiled. Uh, you know, the mystery wasn't fully understood. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was a revelation. Amen. That was a revelation. Isaiah 7. A virgin shall be with child and give birth to a son. You shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. That was veiled. They didn't quite understand that. They didn't quite get that. Not all of them. Isaiah 9. You know, for, for, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a, a son is given. They didn't quite get that. It was somewhat veiled, although some realized what was going on. And you know, even Isaiah 53 that talks about the substitutionary death, Jesus died in our place. In your place, Jesus died. He died for your sin and my sin. So that we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And I pray that you've appropriated that into your life. I pray that you are saved, that you know him. Psalm 22 also prophesied about Jesus. Psalm 22 starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus cried out from the cross. Yet 700 years before in Psalm 22, it was prophesied along with a lot of other things in that psalm. It's certainly a mystery. I like Fernando Ortega, his song, Sing to Jesus. He says, he starts off the song, Come and see, look on this mystery, the Lord of the universe nailed to the tree. That is a mystery, isn't it? God, God Almighty, the Lord of the universe nailed to the tree. That is a mystery indeed, isn't it? It really is. 
He says also of this mystery, Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We want to know about God. We want a knowledge of God. We want to learn about God. It's found in Christ. It's found in him and his word. That's where it's found. And so, you know, we need to... Uh, <clears throat> We, hadn't, we need to have the full assurance of understanding, Paul says, and the knowledge of that mystery, Christ. It, it, it's a mystery that we'll never fully fathom in this life. But we can learn a lot about it, amen? Right. Enough to know it is the wonder of wonders. And, uh, you know, it is a mystery indeed. And in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Moving on, it takes not only receiving Christ as Savior, but walking in him. Verse 6, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Amen? Walking in him, walking is how we live. It's our behavior. It's what we do. It's what we say as we live this life, as we walk through this life is what he's talking about there. And you know, we have this erroneous idea that people just need to get saved and baptized, and that's it. They're going to heaven. We're okay. That's all we need to do, right? We got that idea sometimes in the church, and people have that idea sometimes. All I need to do is get saved and baptized. I remember a guy coming one time at a church that I was at, I wasn't the pastor there, I was the associate pastor, but I remember a guy, you know, a family coming, and they brought uh, their son, and he wanted to be baptized. And, you know, I guess the pastor talked to him, and, and he was confident that he was saved or whatever, and he baptized him. We didn't see him again for three or four months. What is that about? As if... Once he's baptized, he's done everything he needs to do. We're just going to wait around until heaven comes along. That's not the way it works, you know. That's not the way it works. In fact, if we lead people like that, they become uh, fodder for Satan himself. They're vulnerable to Satan himself who will come in and take away what little they've been given. When a, when a new Christian when he was saved and baptized, we need to disciple that person in the word so that he understands who he is in Christ and is able to live the way that he needs to live for Christ. We need to disciple them, and it's so important that we do that. We can't just leave people hanging like that, you know, uh, as if walking the aisle, becoming saved, believing in Christ, and then get baptized, and then that's it. We can't do that. We can't do that. We must, we must uh, disciple them and help them to live for Christ. And um, we need to be doing that for each other as well, all the time. You know, they need, they need, we need to show them how to live. We need to show them how to serve. We need to, we need to show them how to be a witness for Christ. We need to disciple them. <clears throat> Moving on, it takes... It takes being rooted, established, and built up in Christ so that you can grow as a Christian. And we're kind of talking about the same thing we just talked about. So that we can grow as a Christian and not be deceived by false teachers. Uh, our roots need to go down deep in Christ. Amen? Right. 
deep in Christ. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 17. Right after Isaiah, Jeremiah 17. <clears throat> Verses 7 and 8. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the, in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Amen. Does that remind you of another scripture? I'm waiting. <laughs> that reminds you of another scripture? Psalm 1. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly or wicked, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Rooted in Christ is what we're talking about here. Down deep and rooted in Christ. You know, if we turn back to, <clears throat> to, turn back to our text, I want you to look at two verses here as we talk about something. Verse 4 and verse 8, he says, And this I say, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. And then in verse 8 he says, Beware lest any man spoil you, literally cheat you, through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We need to grow like this and become rooted in Christ so that we are not deceived by false teaching. And it's everywhere today. It's all around today. It's in churches. Maybe kept lower, but it's in churches. It's all around. It's on the TV screen. It's everywhere you look. You know? I hate to pick on Joel Olstein all the time, but I do. Okay? And the reason being is he don't preach the gospel. Plain and simple. He don't preach the gospel. But just think about it. If you listen to Joel Osteen, and I have many times, because I didn't want to say anything about him and, and, and you know, misrepresent him in any way. So I've listened to several of his sermons, and he doesn't preach the gospel. I, I must admit I hadn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't listened to him recently, but I've listened to a lot of his sermons. And I tell you what. You talk about enticing words. You talk about persuasive words. I tell you what, he'll have you ready to pack up your camper and move to Texas and join Lakewood Church over there. He's slick, let me tell you. He is so smooth, smooth as oil. Snake oil, okay? Uh, but there's, you know, I don't mean to just pick on him, but there are others that, that will lead people astray. These, this, uh, False teaching that was in Colossae. Uh, they were smooth. They had smooth, enticing, persuasive words that they were able to lead them astray. 
And that's what Paul was concerned about. That's why he wanted them rooted in Christ, so that they wouldn't be led away by that. And finally, it takes realizing that Christ, Christ is sufficient for salvation, for living the Christian life, and for the church and all that it does. Amen? I don't know if you remember the last time I was here. I know all y'all memorized all my sermons. But anyway, <clears throat> we talked about, in chapter 1, the preeminent one. Christ is preeminent. He's preeminent in creation. He's preeminent in the church. He's preeminent in redemption. And hopefully he is preeminent in our lives. Amen? So he is. He's sufficient for salvation. He's sufficient to empower me to live for him. He is sufficient to be the head of the church, even this church, and to lead it wherever he wants it to go. He is sufficient to make this church, to repeat what I've said before, a well-ordered, rock-solid, steadfast, and established church. And he wants us to be rooted in him, anchored in him, continually growing, and continually being built up in him, rooted in Christ, amen? A church rooted in Christ is what he wants us to be, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord.